Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with Anthony Falco, CEO and co-founder of Orchestrate.io. Previously, Anthony was at Basho, the home of the React database. We discuss some of Anthony's background and his perspectives on the database industry before looking at some of the ways in which his current company, Orchestrate, is trying to solve these problems and really um, address the challenges that developers and organizations face in managing data at scale, both in the data center and out on the cloud. I hope you enjoy our conversation and we'll come back for future conversations here at the Cloud of Data. Thank you. Anthony, thank you very much for joining me for this podcast today. Before we get into some of the details around the announcements coming out of Orchestrate, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your background, please? Sure. Thank you, Paul. Uh, thanks for having me and, uh, and uh, welcome back to podcast. And I enjoyed last week's podcast uh, quite nicely. Um, so Orchestrate uh, is, is announcing next week that we're launching and I'm part of a team uh, my background is actually uh, originally I worked in a complex website hosting, uh, a company that eventually got acquired by Verizon Business, uh, worked in CDNs, I was early at Akamai, and most recently was founder of Basho Technologies, which makes REOC, a distributed uh, key value store. It's based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, it's just a Great team of people that are making what I think is uh, one of the best uh, database softwares on the market. I'm obviously a bit a bit unbiased there, a bit biased there. But uh, uh, before coming to Orchestrate, I worked in distributed services and in distributed database software. Excellent, thank you. So you mentioned Reoc there in the introduction and described it as one of the best databases on the market. So if Reoc, which you've done, is one of the best databases on the market. What is there to do with Orchestrate? Surely the job is done. Good question. So, uh, you know, what we, what we learned uh, talking to customers, uh, where Orchestrate sits is at the sort of the, um, the nexus of three different um, market forces uh, that, um, uh, that were quite different than the, than the market that, that Reoc addresses. Reoc is a very uh, durable, uh, large-scale key-value store, well-suited for uh, you know, big mission-critical systems. Um, but what, when we were out um, talking to customers about Reoc, uh, we noticed them deploying uh, a lot of other databases beside. You know, in 2000, you really had um, any choice you wanted in databases as long as it was relational. You know, there were some object databases and there was you know, some XML databases and things, but really... End of the day, relational ruled the roost. Um, now there are thirty databases in production that didn't even exist back in uh, in, in two thousand and five, uh, and so what you've seen is this explosion in um, in choice. Uh, different databases optimized for different types of workloads, and so to build a you know a responsive, write-intensive application. People are using multiple databases in production. It's not uncommon to see somebody running Reoc and Redis, MySQL, possibly Elasticsearch. Um, so, you know, people are given the right tool for the right job, but that's creating a lot of complexity. Reoc is optimized for specific uh, workloads around things like, you know, storing shopping carts and user profiles, you know, uh, game information. Rovio uses them to good effect for, for, for many things on, their, on the Rovio platform, Rovio, the makers of Angry Birds. But, you know, the, the, the fact is that, that all of these databases are specialized and optimized, and you need multiple um, databases to, uh, to meet the needs of, of uh, common app, interactive applications. At the same time, I would you know, Reoc is a um, is an enterprise licensed uh, licensed by the nodes. It's open source and enterprise license, and you consume it by the node, and you get subscriptions to the enterprise licenses. You install them and manage them yourselves. Uh, I had a number of of uh, more and more customers were saying, "Love the software, but we want we just want to go someplace and use a thousand operations per second of key value when we need it." And burst up to ten thousand when we need it, and go back down to five hundred when we need it, and that's really that's utility pricing. That's the sort of consumption model that you that people are being trained to uh, to want um, for good reason by folks like uh, like Amazon with uh, DynamoDB and RDS and SimpleDB. So those two uh, market forces 
really convinced us that, that polyglot persistence, as it's termed, is, is a real force in the market, and people want to consume polyglot persistence as a, uh, as, as, as a service. And then the final, the final um, component of this mix is we watched as Reoc, a very powerful database, um, it got fine traction, it's a great business, but you saw Mongo just take off and Couch take off as well. And the reason they took off is because they did something really, really well. You can, I'm not here to say anything bad about any databases. Those databases did what they did really well and what they do really well is they're really easy to get started with, really easy to prototype with. So uh, if, if simplicity drives adoption, especially for prototyping, and that often leads to you know, production and then expansion of a production um, cluster, why not build a service that's easy to get started with? So what Orchestrate is that's quite different than, than it's, it's very different than, than React is that it's polyglot uh, persistence, it's a service, it's not software, uh, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's very, very simple, um, just a JSON interface, you know, very simple to get started with uh, running as a service. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're mutually exclusive because we use the best of breed NoSQL databases to, to build our service. I should probably ask, just in case there's someone scratching their head desperately, polyglot persistence, what is it? I'm glad you asked, and I'm sorry that I moved past it without uh, giving a proper definition. Polyglot persistence is a term uh, that uh, has been used um, broadly for the last several years with this, the, with this uh, explosion of databases. I think Martin Fowler has, uh, from ThoughtWorks has written about it uh, extensively. It's the idea that uh, it, it's the notion of, of multiple query types or multiple database types uh, combined for, for a single application or a single uh, set of tasks. So you know, if you wanted to do the query, you, think of an application, a quite common application nowadays, show me all of my friends and my friends of friends within, within a 10-mile radius uh, who've tweeted about uh, uh, coffee in the last hour. Um, you know, that, 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 that query has elements of time or events. It has elements of geospatial. It has elements of keyword search. Uh, it has elements of, of social graph, uh, you know, my friends of friends. And that use case, which is, which is becoming increasingly common, especially with mobile applications, uh, where the context of use is important, has given, uh, need, uh, given rise to, um, to using multiple databases in production. So simply put, polyglot persistence just means using multiple databases or forms of persistence in production. Right. Thank you. So you, you talked there about this explosion in databases. Um, it used to be back in the good old days, if you were on a desktop machine, you used DBase and that was what you used. Um, mm -hmm. If you were on, I guess, coming forward a little bit, if you were on a server, you used Oracle or you used MySQL or you used one of a very small number of alternatives and life was simple. Yes. The, and on the whole, the job got done. It didn't always get done prettily and it didn't always get done quickly, but on the whole, the, the job got done. Now we've got this explosion of all these different databases and types of database. Um, and, you know, for a, an individual developer, um, they probably are able to go out and find the database that does exactly what they need for their particular workflow today. And that, that's a good thing. But if you're running a business, uh, you're the CIO or the CTO or you're in charge of ops or whatever it may be, your developers are going wild. Um, you've, got, <laughs> you've got every database under the sun um, running on your premises or, or out in your, your cloud account. This can't continue, can it? Well, that's really the point. I think, uh, you know, you have several issues. Let's just start at the CIO level with the idea of governance. Um, and it isn't, it, this is not something that is exclusive to databases. Every service that, that, you know, think about all the services that you could sign up for tomorrow um, or when, we get, when, 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 you, when you're done listening to this podcast, and everybody will, of course, stay till the end of this podcast before trying this experiment, you could go and sign up for a dozen different services uh, with, and, and store all sorts of information from your corporation in those services, things like Asana and Campfire and, and you know, CRMs and, 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 and 
And you could, all sorts of information from the corporation is leaking out into these services. And databases are no different. You know, if I want to go and use, spin up RDS, uh, Amazon's RDS, and start using it for, for some workload and then go to Joint and use Manta for another workload, all of a sudden uh, you've, got just, you've got data, corporate data, leaking out of your, your corporation in all sorts of different directions. And, um, you know, that's, that tends to be a problem. You know, where is the, you know, we have all these different SLAs. We have all these different uh, uh, privacy guarantees. We have all these different, uh, you know, vendors relationships to manage as, as, as we become more complex. And so different, consult- different versions of the data as well. Exactly. Different versions of the data. And data becomes siloed. So the data that you've developed about your users in service A um, which might which might conform to a to a key value um, or a column t- uh, table model. Uh, you can't really get any without a lot of work. You can't actually do things like find social graph relationships between entities. Um, you know, build the, so, the 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 graph relationships between entities in that uh, in 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 that data. So you get you have silos sitting across disparate providers, and uh, and and so consolidation. Um, is going to happen whether it's at the sort of the consumer uh, level for some data types, or if it's at the, if it's at the database level. You know, thirty different databases, um, and it's funny. I, I, I said I used to talk about the twenty-five databases, um, but uh, you know, thirty different databases. A few more came out in the in the interim. So um, I think um, uh, I think. Uh, the, the the CIO faces a daunting problem. The DBA, uh, you know, the D, the database administrator, I think far from becoming uh, obsolete, will become more important as they take on a role more of sort of the data administration across different cloud providers. Um, and so, uh, you know, just what we're trying to tackle, what we were really trying to tackle was was developer simplicity, speed, enabling new features. One of the things that we found as we began to work with, uh, with, with enterprise customers is they began to uh, somewhat unexpectedly emerge as users is uh, the prospect of having a single policy, you know, a single place to control things like where the data is, is replicated to, um, you know, to, to be able to handle, to be able to see who's consuming the data. Um, uh, it, 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 there's a utility to that, you know, to make sure that all the data has the same sort of backup regime. Um, these, these are these are challenges, and and I, I wish I could say that we sat down to solve that problem out front. But one of the happy accidents of the consolidation of the front end um, uh, interfaces, queries, and APIs uh, was that 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 upstream at the policy and administrative level, it, it became a a, a more um, you know, more of a solved problem. I mean, we haven't totally solved it whatsoever, but it's it's something that uh, it's where we're adding value um, as a as a byproduct of combining the, uh, the 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 different data query types. So, is Orchestrate a sort of management and policy layer on top of these existing databases, or does it replace the databases too? Orchestrate is a an API layer on top of databases that we run for the customer. Not unlike DynamoDB, you put your data in uh, in our service. We we store you we store it for you. We manage it. We do backups. We monitor it. We provide you usage reporting, and we ultimately serve the data through the API. Uh, so it's not we don't run a layer on top of your legacy databases. Um, and, you know, so again, it's like DynamoDB now to start with. To focus, our focus right now is on the uh, on a on a on a managed service for storing and retrieving data that take uh, that allows you to offload um, uh, the the complex tasks of administering um, and you know, maintaining a, a, a many databases. Um, you know, as I don't think on-premises data data storage is going to go away anytime soon, and I think that we will um, we're quite prepared. Uh, for hybrid solutions in the future, where um, where we run alongside of and perhaps on top of uh, existing databases, we're actually preparing for that as uh, as part of our our roadmap. Although that's sufficiently far, far away that uh, that it, um, it it it's probably not as interesting as the things that we're doing right now. So we talked a moment ago about 
the value and the power of all these multitude of different um, alternative database types. If you're subsuming a lot of that capability into Orchestrate, how can you do, how can you match the strengths of a React or a Cassandra or a Mongo or a, or a whatever it may be all in a single solution? Sure, surely people have to give something up to gain the value of your, your management and your simplicity and your, your one view. So, you know, there, there, are, um, there are certainly um, peculiarities or, or specialties of, uh, you know, if you took all of the key value or document-oriented uh, databases and put them together, you would find that one has a strength uh, that it's really fast to get started with. Another one has the strength that it's, it doesn't lose data. Um, what we've tried to do is pick and choose the most prominent features that matter most to users. Uh, and one of the keys to our approach is that we're not using a single database as the back on, on the back end. Um, so, you know, if you look at other providers of database as a service, they tend to pick a database, create a multi-tenant version of it for you to try, and then you graduate to clusters that they run of that database, um, whatever that database happens to be. We're going to be from whether you're using one um, operation per second or you're using 10,000 operations per second, we're just like DynamoDB, we're going to be a, uh, a multi-tenant solution and behind the API that you write to, you're going to, you, you, we might be running you know, React, HBase, uh, Elasticsearch, you know, whatever the best databases out there are at the moment to support those workloads. There's every possibility that when we um, publish our, our um, SQL uh, API mount point um, sometime later in the year, that you're writing to Postgres or you're writing to MySQL, if customers say, I really want you know, something you know, specifically, if, if we have overwhelming desire from our customers to provide a specific uh, you know, database-specific um, uh, piece of functionality, and that's what the market wants, then, then you'll know that, you're running, uh, that we're running Postgres um, on, the back, on the back end. Otherwise, it's going to just look like a more generic version of that query. Um, what you give up, uh, I think, is... Uh, of dubious um, value in some cases, you know the the, the control that you give up. Um, it's not clear that having um, that, that 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 for the same reason that it's not clear that 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 that, that having Amazon um, run you know your your virtual virtualized instances in EC2 uh, that you're giving up control of those. You get you gain so much more when you're able to, you gain so much in terms of flexibility and reallocation of assets um, uh, when, when you use a system like that, a cloud service, that um, I think ultimately the, 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 the flexibility or, the, or the, um, uh, the, the customization that you think you desire uh, tends to fall away in, in, in when compared to the benefits of, of, of um, of, of consuming a service where you have certain expertise in running it. I wonder what the DBA equivalent of a server hugger is and whether they would agree. Well, I think sysadmins, I mean, that's a fair point. I think sysadmins, you know, I think one of the, it was, I think it was a sign of the immaturity of NoSQL. And it was something, hey, I, you know, we open sourced um, Reoc in 2009 um, it was it was being used in production in 2008 for for a product. Um, you know, it was easy to call the you know to 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 predict um, you know sort of the with, with all sorts of grandiosity and pomp the, the the end of things. And I don't think that 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 sysadmins and DBAs are going away. I think that their expertise is going to morph into um, in, into into managing. Much larger um, and much more powerful pieces of infrastructure. You know, I think the DBA is going to become a, almost a data administrator uh, in a much larger sense. You know, making sure they're not just responsible for you know one flavor of SQL; they're responsible for every kind of query type and storage type that's in the, in an organization. So, uh, and you know, SQL's not going away, and um, and on-premises expensive hardware and software isn't going away. It's it's just going to take it. It's going to it's going to fill um, you know a, a lower percentage, possibly even a higher you know raw number 
in terms of revenue of the market, but it's going to fill a lower percentage um, as, as other solutions that offer niche specialty advantages uh, take its place. Good. Makes sense. So Orchestrate is offered as a, as a cloud service, right? That's right. And you're based in Portland, in Oregon. Is, is that where the data is too? Uh, no, we are going to be located uh, where the applications are currently um, uh, hosted. So one of the first things you want to avoid with a database is a lot of, net, of, of putting a lot of your requests uh, on, the, on or queries on, on the network. So um, you know, we'll be located in Amazon. We'll be located on SoftLayer. We'll be located right now today if you're in Amazon East uh, and very soon if you're um, – in a Northern Europe data, uh, one of the Northern European data centers, we're still deciding which one the uh, customers want us to be in. Um, you will you will be writing, you know, to uh, essentially a local API in the same way that you might, you know, query, you know, SimpleDB or RDS or DynamoDB. Um, in 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 the future, we will be on as many networks as there are as there is demand, and that includes on premises. So, um, you know, the, the, but the first rule is, you know, we, the way we've designed this is so that we can put clusters or uh, instances of Orchestrate right next to where companies are running their, their cloud applications. And given the value that companies see in their data, the, the on-premise version you mentioned is clearly going to be important to a not insignificant part of your potential audience. I think so. I think that 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 that, uh, that growth. What it all comes down to is execution. We need to execute on the first part of the business, which is uh, which is a um, which is a cloud service, and and as we begin to uh, expand, um, you know, I, I there are lots of smart people that are that are uh, that uh, that I listen to that have conflicting views on whether you know on premises is going to. Uh, Shrink away, or, or on-premises is going to continue to grow, and that this, that in the cloud is a fad. I think that somewhere in between there, there will be an opportunity for us to offer uh, an on-premises um, uh, version of Orchestrate, one that also, um, you know, importantly, confederates with uh, with with public with the public version of it, so that you might, you know, run. You know your own local version of, of Orchestrate, and for some subset of your data, you may want to distribute it closer to your end users. Um, you know, on another part of the Orchestrate network. Mm, yes, indeed. So you're running in a public cloud, like say Amazon or SoftLayer or or any of the others. What happens to the data? What does what does the Orchestrate system look like? Is this a separate instance for every customer, or is there some multi-tenancy magic going on? Uh, uh, hopefully, it's not magic. Uh, it's, <laughs> multi-tenancy uh, it's, science. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, so, so, multi-tenant. We want to be multi-tenant from from the smallest customer to to, to the largest, um, and and ha- everybody has access to the same features and the same. Uh, uh, robust functionality. So, uh, you know, we run an API layer, and that API layer is, you know, cleverly enough, an orchestration layer on top of multiple databases. Those databases can be changed, so we don't get too attached to any particular brand of database. Um, but you have a you write once to to the database uh, that does the that captures the writes that's well optimized for lots and lots of writes at any one in, at any one um, time, and then uh, the, the 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 challenge then is to build indexes and keep those indexes in sync with uh, with what's been written, and so if an update comes in uh, and you want to search that update update uh, say somebody's somebody's user profile comes in and they've added the keyword. Um, podcasting to to their profile, and uh, and then it gets indexed by a uh, by full text search, and someone searches, show me all the people who have an interest in podcasting. Uh, there will be, you know, it's it's managing the delay between writing the data and indexing it in um, in, in another data store. That's going to be the key, and so you know where we concentrate our effort is not in the databases themselves. But in 
the in in, in the synchronization between um, these um, diverse collections and in the API layer, and then in distributing the data around the world to wherever you want that data to be, in addition to the local copy, um, which as as an aside is important because you know you have a mobile if you have a mobile app that's got uh, global traction. Um, people in Singapore, uh, you know, is it, is it, think about the experience of somebody on a, on a mobile network in Singapore, um, traversing the mobile network to the internet, across the ocean to a data center on the east or west coast of the United States, and then back, uh, for multiple queries. So the ability to take some amount of your data and distribute it all off CDN to, um, you know, at least to, uh, to, um, geographically relevant, uh, data centers you know, whatever relevant means, you know, somewhat close by, uh, will improve end-user experience um, quite a bit. But, you know, the, 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 real, the real challenge for Orchestrate, the real IP that we're building, the, the, the real product, is in the, the API layer that makes it easy to, 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 um, to query multiple different NoSQL data types with one API, and then keeping all of those databases in sync so the data is usable, and developers can can um, can reason about you know what version of the data they're looking at, so so they make sure they're the right data. Uh, was that uh, was that sufficiently uh, uh, useful? Or yes, or? yes, it okay. was. Thank you. So this API that you're offering, which is as you say, is sort of a, a key part of your value proposition. If you're a developer who has an existing application, which, as we said right back at the beginning, might be calling half a dozen different databases today. What does the process look like of translating that into something that uses Orchestrate? Or do you find that most of your early customers are actually starting off with new applications? Well, so uh, we've, 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 we've handled some, some total transfers. Um, when you have multiple applications, multiple databases... Uh, what you need to settle on is, you know, what the what the collections. That, so, if you have multiple databases, then that means you have multiple tables or multiple collections or multiple, um, you know, um, groupings of data in each of those in each of those data stores. Uh, then, really, it's a matter of making sure that the structure that you have in your existing data store is replicated in, in Orchestrate, and then you just build a collection for each of those databases, and instead of it living in five different places, it lives in five collections in the same application on Orchestrate. So bringing the, bringing the, the diverse data collections together is no more complex than, than you know, any data migration between two data stores. Um, uh, what we tend to see, though, and what I find is sort of interesting is not that somebody makes a wholesale change. What we've seen is people say, I'm going to pick this feature, whether it's new or it's something they've had trouble with before, and I'm going to use Orchestrate for just this feature, which means I'm going to take a subset of my data and let's just say friends of friends. Let's just say referrals. You know, like if, you got, if, 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 if you took every single person in your user um, uh, database and, and, and you, you had a field that said, who were they referred by? And you loaded that into a graph database, including the one we have. You could build a pretty interesting graph of who knows who, who's referred who. And, you know, you'd know something interesting about your data. And then perhaps you might, uh, once you've got that working, you might say, hmm, well, now, that I, now I also know where they live. So let's take a look at what what the uh, what the geographical relationship between these users are as compared to you know the, the the graph relationship between these people, and that's where the power of Orchestrate, where you can start with one feature and then add new features, um, really begins to uh, sink in for people because you haven't really created any new data. You've just taken existing data that sat in the silo or in the restriction in this restricted database that only did one thing. And when you put it into Orchestrate, now you're able to do things like, you know, take that data that used to just sort of serve one purpose and start exploring all sorts of different purposes. And, you know, maybe you're just a very, a very compulsive person. You want to know how many people whose letter begins with A are friends with people whose letter begins with B that they live one mile away from. <laughs> um, and I'm just using a, I'm using a fanciful example to illustrate that. 
but you know what you've all of a sudden done when you combine um, all the all these different queries on top of the same data is you find ways to begin to to explore it and create relationships between the data that were hidden in the data uh, as when it was stored, but they, but you couldn't uncover it because of the restrictions uh, on the query interface, and that's where it gets exciting. I mean, saving people money and making things easier to use and and simplifying people's lives that's all that's all commendable but it isn't it, but what it when it gets exciting is when you start unlocking new kinds of functionality and and you know at least personally it, it, we, we don't say much about it um, you know we haven't really talked about that much in terms of you know like we haven't really done any marketing but um, one of the one of the one of the things that's like really the most exciting about doing this is we feel like this is going to unlock uh, you know, creativity that you know, developers tend to have a lot of sort of rote tasks and DevOps people have a lot of rote tasks they need to do just to stand up an application. But once you sort of relieve them of some of these these these, these rote tasks, um, we liken you know like think about it. every time you you want to build an application, uh, you have to stand up a, a new database. That's like every time you want to get a new piece of clo of, of clothing, you have to go buy and 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 assemble a a, a sewing machine and then and then go get some clothes and and sew it. You know, there's a sort of a bespoke, um, a bespoke nature to the way people build applications. And I'll go further. Look at your look at your iPhone or your look at your mobile phone. How many um, of the apps on that on that phone that you that you use that, that the apps that you love do you look at and say, man, they really run my SQL well? You don't because nobody really cares about the databases behind the scenes. They care about the features and the experience. Now imagine if you didn't have to mess with this bespoke data structure you have to build infrastructure you have to build anytime, and instead you're putting more energy and creativity into the experience of the user. And so people say, oh, databases are kind of boring, maybe, but what they can do for people is really exciting. And it's that combination of features and it's that unlocking of what's in the data that really gets us motivated. And you mentioned, you know, one of the, the boring things um, that, that you mentioned in amongst the, the, the good, exciting things there was saving money, you know, saving money. Um, do you save real money in terms of, you know, reduced license costs, reduced storage costs, reduced bandwidth costs or any of that? Or is this about sort of saving time and therefore costing less? So we don't. We have not done a a real case study at this point. But just to give you an idea, um, if you wanted to get started with, if you wanted to show up to um, you know, at, at our at at, at, at orchestrate service and st wanted to start using um, events, time ordered events or activity feeds, full text search, KV, and social graph, something that would require at least three databases and you know likely four uh, you, you could get started using that in a couple of minutes and you would pay us uh, first of all you get your first million queries per month free and then you would pay us uh, two dollars per million queries uh, in a month and you could get if you want support you can get uh, your support starts at $39 a month I don't think that, that, that anybody uh, out there can get started with and prototype uh, features uh, um, based on that economy. Uh, you know, the, the the table stakes for getting started with a bespoke data data infrastructure is much much higher, just in terms of you know uh, EC2 instances, the time it takes to set up the databases. So we think that we think that the, that that the model itself uh, it represents a profound shift uh, in the way um, people will consume. Any infrastructure, and you know, we're just part of a very, uh, a very big trend. You know, you know, a really sort of an interesting trend. If you look at things like SendGrid, Twilio, even PagerDuty, you're seeing pieces of infrastructure that used to be relatively mundane, like email and, and phone and SMS and databases and pager notifications. They're they're being turned into these services that you can you can consume on an ad hoc basis, um, and 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 so now. The, the, the barrier to entry, the cost of standing up a, a service that consumes these, these, these services, these other services, is, you know, you can, you, you can prototype for almost nothing. So uh, at the low end, you absolutely are, um, are transforming uh, the economies. Uh, and what that does, first and foremost, is that's going to lead to 
Uh, if, if the cost to prototype a new feature or to prototype a new application uh, is greatly reduced, then one would expect, unless there's some other force that we don't understand, that you're going to see tremendous um, innovation. You know, you reduce the, reduce the barrier to entry, you give people a, 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 a series of, of, of tools to work with, and then, and then people will combine them in interesting ways that will create new services um, uh, you know, rapidly. And, and, and most important about this is not just that you can pick it up, but that you can discard these services quickly. Yeah, this isn't for me, but I have very little sunk cost, so I'm going to move on and try something else. Now, at the, at the question is that at the high end, you know, I, I honestly, I think that there is something to be said. By the time you're LinkedIn or by the time you're Urban Airship, uh, where you're, you've built uh, a, a, a data infrastructure, your entire infrastructure, uh, is you're squeezing every bit of optimization out of your infrastructure um, uh, because it directly impacts you know, the profitability of your company, performance, all these sorts of things. I honestly don't know. I can't sit here and claim that a general purpose data store is, is going to be a uh, general purpose sort of service like ours um, is, going to, uh, is going to ultimately replace um, the, sort of, um, uh, the sort of highly specialized, highly customized infrastructure at the high end. But certainly, you know, somewhere towards the high end will still be relevant and who knows how far it will go. And we may end up being, you know, the thing that people build the next Foursquare on. We don't know. Uh, we'd love to be. So uh, the economics are geared towards adoption and towards, uh, and towards experimentation and towards uh, being able to sustain rapid growth, rapid success. Um, and when we get to the high end, that'll be a challenge for our business. You know, that's, I think any business has, you know, is, is challenged to grow. And that two dollars per million queries you mentioned does that include everything so it's um bandwidth storage the lot or is it just the processing of data once you've got it there it's all in it's it's you've got your storage you've got you've got um and it and it's and it's across all providers so um as we add new you know if somebody wants so what it doesn't include is um, as we add new data types, say you want um, to serve all your queries in memory, or say you want to serve all your queries from a um, from a, you know, a, a database on a data center on the International Space Station. So you know there are going to be different, um, uh, and I'm not equating the two things, of course. I uh, just a, you know there there will be special cases uh, for you know either the type of data that you're serving uh, or the or the you know if you want to pay extra for performance gains, so there will be variance in that. But for your standard use cases, you know uh, it's going to be inclusive of everything, all components. And simplicity is important. You know one of the one of the pieces of feedback that we got, and and uh, you know one of the knocks against some of the biggest cloud providers. Um, is that it's you know their pricing's Byzantine. It's difficult to suss out what your what your cost is going to be beforehand. Yeah, uh, we wanted to eliminate that concern. If you have an application, and the other thing that I think is important is you see a lot of it's difficult to know. You end up having to provision for peak. So what's the point of having utility pricing if you end up having to provision for for peak usage? Um, you know, utility pricing is um, there's some risk for the for the for the uh, for the provider, but that risk is really kind of aligned with the user. I mean, the only way to eliminate the risk for the provider uh, is to um, uh, is to overcharge the user for stuff they're not using. You know, so what we try to do is align our pricing to consumption, to to, to the consumption, to the value that the user gets out of it, and to make it very clear. Uh, you know, two dollars per million operations, uh, and uh, and we have you know we have options for um, for enterprises. Same two dollars, but they can also pay for uh, for a higher support level uh, on a monthly subscription. It's going to be difficult to to make money, isn't it? At those kinds of levels, um, or are you going to have lots of people doing many millions of queries? You hope. Uh, our business is uh, two dollars. I'm glad that you think two dollars sounds cheap. 
because two dollars is a good a good value for our users, and it will allow us to build a strong long term business. Okay, good. So, talking about those users, then those customers, it's clearly early days, um, but what do they look like? And what kinds of things are they typically trying to do? So uh, you, can, you can break uh, our users into, um, into three classes. There are people with production applications who want to simplify. And about 20% of the folks that, uh, that have come along and signed up are using, uh, are talking about applications that are um, consuming more than 1,000 uh, operations per second in production. So we're talking about you know, really active applications, you know, e-commerce applications, that sort of thing. You know, another large percentage, uh, about 40%, are um, you know, doing anywhere from zero to 1,000 to operations per second. You know, it's sort of a, a standard um, you know, sine wave distribution, or actually it's more like a slope distribution down, you know, from, from the low end of 10 down to, you know, uh, down to a few people doing you know, 999. And then you have about 40% of the people who come to us are trying it out, have their blog, they want to work with it, they're interested, and you know, they're not going to be customers. And that number is going to rise, I think, over time. I think we'll see you know, a lot of people sort of experimenting with it. The use cases are... We haven't seen a cluster yet, so you know this is something that we saw in NoSQL, which is what unified people was not necessarily the use cases, um, but but the but the, the the problems that they were seeing that they needed to solve, which tend to tend to be around things like that are very write intensive applications like gaming, e-commerce, social networking. Um, uh, you know, information processing like uh, like insurance agencies that have you know uh, e-document uh, services. Um, the so the so the, the the common thread through all of this is is more the operational problems they're trying to solve. When we were doing research for the company, when we were beginning um, in you know around this time, a little bit later last year, one of the things that that, that I found quite interesting, if you look at all of the major you, people want to verticalize, and the problem with verticalizing is that within a vertical, people—if if you really could verticalize, then you would—you could go to say the travel um, site. Uh, all the companies that, that have travel sites, like Expedia and Hotwire and all that, and they would all be using exactly the same hardware and software because they're in the same vertical. And if you look, they're using vastly different pieces of infrastructure. You know, someone might have Oracle and, and Couchbase, and somebody might be using Mongo and Redis, and somebody else might be using Postgres and Postgres only. So, and these are all companies that are doing this, essentially show me, you know, I'm a user, I want to travel on these dates, I want to go between these two points in time, and, um, and I also want to rent a car. You know, the, the queries that you do on Expedia are not vastly different than the queries that you do on... Um, on, on kayak, and yet their infrastructure is all over the map. No two companies are using the same combination of databases. So I think verticals are misleading. I think what you end up finding, especially with all the choice in the market, is that developers and, and, and sysadmins make decisions based on a set of values that they bring, whether they're whether they like speed versus reliability. Uh, or they don't like Java, or they don't like Erlang. You know, there's, there's, there, there are all of these factors. And familiarity have, counts as well. You know, I, I, fact, used, I used Mongo last time, so I'm going to use it again. Now, actually, that's a great point, because that's, that's actually probably the most important. I had success before using this, so why wouldn't I continue to use it? And, um, and it's th- that is not complacency, and that's not in curiosity. That's the sort of conservatism that you would expect from somebody who is, you know, building a business. So, um, so I think that verticals um, are are less and less what's shaping, um, uh, you know, what's shaping people's choices in terms of uh, technology and familiarity, success, uh, you know, availability of resources. You know, if you're if you're in a tight market for Java developers. Maybe it's a smart thing to to you know to to build in Python, but but if for example you're in um, you're in you're in you're in the in in a small town, 
I'm not sure Erlang would be a smart choice for you, you know, depending on what that small town is. So I think there are so many factors that have nothing to do with the vertical that shape people's usage. What we have seen is that these are people who are interested in multiple queries, you know, a priori. They, they've selected us because we can serve that, 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 that need. Um, some of them have databases in production. All of them have universally, and maybe this is a universal human condition, but they've all struggled with databases. They've all cursed their databases at one time or another. I, I suspect that may actually just be a universal condition, though. Yes. <laughs> I think so. Um, so what, what about the geographic spread that you're seeing? Yeah, so the, the days of sort of a U.S.-centric launch and then two years later uh, 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 a, um, you know, like sort of a European or an Asian launch are over, I think, especially for services. We're seeing about 40% of our traffic coming from uh, outside the United States and a high percentage of that uh, coming from Northern Europe. There is a there's a, a great curiosity, uh, a great um, sort of uh, eagerness to try new things. I think that more than half of our, our, um, of our uh, suggestions for new features and, uh, and certainly a majority of our requests for new data centers or new georegions are coming from, from outside the country. You know, everybody in the United States is willing to use Amazon East, it appears. But once you get outside the United States, you get a lot of interest in, um, in regional data centers. So... We, in fact, we have a couple of people in Europe now, and we're going to continue to hire in London because we have such strong interest uh, outside the United States. And I find it personally, I find it exciting. My last job at um, at Bastia was setting up the international operations in uh, London and Tokyo, and it was among the happiest uh, of my professional life. And uh, and we've always been, you know, Orchestrate's always been a distributed company. And, and one of my founders, one of my co-founders, excuse me, co- uh, uh, you know, lives in London and uh, spends a lot of time uh, talking on the continent and in, 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 in the UK uh, about NoSQL and about databases. That's um, Ian Plosker. This desire for data centers outside the US, is this... From what you're hearing, is this predominantly driven by technical considerations like latency, or is it the fear of you know those people yeah. snooping? <laughs> so uh, Europeans tend to be very um, polite about this. I think that there's a mixture of both. I think um, I well, there are a couple things. Uh, there are some companies that we that we are talking to that are. Their, their, their user base is, is European. They're using European data centers right now, and so we need to be where they are. Um, I think that some of them are, uh, a couple are just sort of preempting any further developments by saying, let's just keep it in the EU, in the UK or in the EU, and oh, by the way, um, you know, if you could do it on a regional provider, that would be better for us. Uh, I, think, I think that is a factor, though. Um, you know, we founded the company a couple of months before, uh, you know, some of this, the, 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 the revelations that really sort of changed everybody's thinking on the topic came out. And um, we've watched, you know, there was, a, there was sort of an initial shock and then a lot of speculation about what it would mean. And then a, um, you know, with not a, lot of, not a lot of hysteria, not a lot of fanfare, there's been sort of a steady slow but deliberate move towards the expectation that you that we're going to host in the, in, in the EU and we're fully prepared in fact we're we're prepared to um, make assurances about separations between systems that, that are necessary for our end users if that becomes an issue and do you think that's a preference for EU hosting or is it a deal breaker if you don't well, I know for a fact a couple of people that um, it's less important for us because right now um, I think there's a little bit of selection bias. You know, until we offer something, we're not going to know how many people just chose not to sign up because we didn't have it. But uh, you know, what I think is because some people sign up and they say, "Hey, this is great. Can you do this?" But we don't know what people you know took a look, and you know, we don't know where everybody's from and they sign up with their Gmail address. So ask the NSA. Know, <laughs> oh man, they could settle a lot of arguments and answer a lot of questions. <laughs> I guess it's sort of like uh, you know when you die and go to heaven, you get all the answers you want. If we could just uh, um, so uh, you know, my, one of the first questions I would ask is, 
did that venture capitalist, did my email really get stuck in their spam folder? <laughs> um, all right, so uh, all jokes aside, we think that, uh, Paul, I think this is going to be a significant uh, business consideration in, until something changes on the political level. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, the revelations that have been, that have accelerated or have caused this to stay in the news and, and, and become a more important matter, even if a little slowly, have been the, 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 that, the, um, that the surveillance uh, reached into commercial concerns and outside the concerns of national security. So, you know, as a data provider uh, that, that wants to service a, a global market, and as a person who has, you know, viewpoint a viewpoint about, you know, um, you know, uh, liberty and, and freedom, you know, we three founders are are, are committed to, um, you know, providing our end users with uh, and, and the corporations with the sort of um, those are the best service that we can, you know. I don't. I don't know what it means. I mean, I. It's going to be interesting. It's, I honestly, I don't know what it's going to be like. We have a couple of people that have worked at large providers, and they've told us, you know, in general, what it's like to get subpoenas and and, and things like that. It will be a dimension of our business. I think the best thing that we can do is be as transparent. I mean, transparency. Everybody talks about transparency. What we need to do is within the within the limits of the law and in, in a way that doesn't betray the confidences of our users. We are going to explain to them what we can do, what we will do. And what has happened, um, and uh, you know, but I have great faith uh, that uh, that with um, that that sunshine is a great sanitizer, and hopefully that won't be an issue, um, you know, um, soon enough. Sounds good. So for people who are listening, available in the U.S. now, coming to other territories very soon. Uh, watch this space. Anthony, that's been great. Thank you. It's going to be very interesting to watch how Orchestrate grows and to see how um, you know, customers around the world put it to work. So thank you very much for your time and good luck moving forward from here. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, and I'm very glad to, to have been a part of your, uh, of your return to the airwaves. Uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you. Goodbye.